1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hello, everyone. Ron Spomer with Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. And again, I'm here to answer questions and hope I get them right. And once again, our crew has piled up a few for me. And we're going to see if I can come up with the right answer. And they may have some corrections for me from last time, too. We'll just figure out what's going on. I do want to say something about late summer and hunting season. It is late July as I record this. And that means we are only about six weeks away from the opening of several hunting seasons. So if you guys haven't gotten on the stick yet, you better start working with your bows, working up your loads, getting your rifles on your scopes, tweaking everything because seasons are coming up a lot faster than you might think. And I hope I can take my own advice on that because I'm not anywhere close to being ready. Well, here are some questions the team put together. Prefer we don't use the name. So No Name asks, if you had to choose three bullets for doing all of your hunting for the rest of your life, oh, what would they be? Oh, boy. You guys are trying to get me in trouble with the bullet makers out there. I try to give everyone equal time and be fair. And I know this, guys. Every bullet works for something. There's no perfect bullet out there. There are a lot of great ones. but Here in the the later years of my hunting experiences, and we're talking, I've got 50 years of hunting under my belt. So I've tried a lot of cartridges and bullets over the years, but I'm really liking the copper bullets. I don't get fragments of lead in my meat. I don't have to worry about my bullets breaking up and failing to penetrate. And I've just had such incredibly good, consistent performance from copper bullets that I'm going to have to go with a lot of those. And I haven't used all of them, so I don't want to give short shrift to brands that I haven't used yet. But I've most of my experiences with Barnes bullets. I started off with the Barnes X way back in the early 90s and have had excellent results with those. And that's on everything from 22 caliber center fires up to the big 458 lot. I don't think I use anything bigger than that, but I've taken game from the little stuff all the way up to Cape Buffalo with them too. And they just work pretty consistent expansion almost every time and deep penetration because those bullets retain so much of their weight. One that I'm working with now is the hammer bullets. Uh, It's a similar bullet, but a little bit different. They don't keep the pedals on. They want the pedals to come off and they claim it gives them uh, better energy transfer and larger wound channel. 
I'm going to be exper uh, experimenting with those some more. I just took one deer with them last year. It was pretty pleased. So we're going to try those in Africa this year. So those would be two. If I had to go with lead core bullets, I've really had good luck with the Acubons. And a lot of my friends say that's a really great one too. And that is Nosler's Acubon bullet. Um, bonded core, so it doesn't come apart, but you still can lose quite a bit of lead to lead smearing against the meat and bone. So, yeah, those those three, I've had really good luck with some swift bullets. I like those as well. Um, as I said earlier, I mean, I've taken so much game with Hornady bullets and Winchester bullets and even Remington bullets and a lot of great Federal. Federal has some really nice bullets out here lately. They've really been perfecting a lot of their different bullet configurations. They've got a lot of premium bullets worth looking at. But, yeah, I'm going to have to go with the Barnes Tip Triple Shock the Hunter Hammer, and then probably the Acubond Nosler for my top three. But, you know, I could change my mind tomorrow, guys. <laughs> I always want to keep an open mind and keep experimenting. I don't like to get locked into one thing. All right. Uh, question from Killer DC Rambo. <laughs> he asks, uh, 65 Creedmoor or 308 for hunting whitetail deer? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Good one because a lot of folks know that I am not a big fan of the 308 Winchester. But it's not because I don't think it can do the job. Great cartridge. Um, it's just never bowled me over for having any pizzazz. It doesn't do anything super well. Um, but boy, it's sure adequate. You've got a good heavy bullet with a 308 you can go up to 180, even a 200 grain bullet if you really wanted to. But you certainly don't need it. For white-tailed deer, the 6.5 Creedmoor has never been one of my favorites either, but it's a little lighter recoiling. I think it makes a pretty effective little white-tailed rifle. Gosh, I don't know, guys. I just might have to shock everybody and go with the 308 Winchester on this one. I really can't fault either one of them as a deer cartridge. Um, they're both more than flat enough shooting for white-tailed deer hunting out to reasonable ranges, and I consider that 400 yards, 500 on the extreme if you really know your stuff and you're really good. But you're going to have maybe a little better chance if things go a little bit sideways on you. You've got a little bit more challenging setup. I think that extra heavy um, 308 bullet might do you a little bit of good. But if you're parking your bullets in the right place, really, it's not going to make a difference. And if I don't have to pick either one of those, I'm going with a 708 Remington. That's kind of my favorite out of that bunch. All right. Steve asks us, how the uh, how did the 30-06 become what it is today? Boy, it pretty much became what it is today right in right off the, the blocks in 1906. You know, it's, there's your cartridge. It's just a matter of changing your bullets up. And they did that fairly early on. You know, the 30-06 was originally called the 30-03 or the 30-03 or 03, however you want to pronounce it. That was a new military cartridge in 1903 with a 220-grain um, round-nosed bullet, which wasn't very efficient. At that time, they were just starting to discover the uh, efficiency of a spider point bullet and a little bit lighter weight bullet. And they figured out, you know, we don't have to have a 220 grain bullet for the military uses. And we can get a lot flatter trajectory with less recoil. It's easier on our shooters. Let's go to 150 grain. 
And that was pretty much it for the sportsmen started using it with 150 grain bullets. And then, of course, they played around and you get better and better bullets. Now, how do you get a better bullet? Two ways. You make it better with terminal performance. That's controlled expansion. Or you make it and you make it uh, better form. Boat tail, long ogive on the nose, higher ballistics coefficient. It just means the bullet is more efficient. So it retains more energy, does not blow as much in the wind or deflect as much in the wind and doesn't drop as much. It's just more efficient. And that's what makes the 30-06 what it is today. Now you've got some new powders, but too many guys make too much about, oh, the new powders really make the difference. I don't really think they do. There are plenty of great recipes out there that will bring the uh, various bullets to maximum muzzle velocity with whatever barrel length you're using, and they're not necessarily some new magical powder. You just have to balance the burning rate of your powders to the weight of your bullet and the length of your barrel. Balance all that out, and you get just grand performance. So that's pretty much the story of what makes the 30-06 or any other cartridge really good, really great. All right, this is another one. The name wants to be withheld, but they ask, do you have any moose hunting tips? Oh, boy, do I ever. First, go moose hunting. Second, go mountain moose hunting. I have had more luck in the mountains than in the swamps. You know, there's this classic moose hunting out of a canoe and... Oh, oh, calling with the birch bark moose call and all this fun stuff. And it sounds quite romantic and can be. But generally on those hunts with flat ground and a lot of water, you don't see as many moose. You just can't get a long look. You could have a moose out there at close range grunting back at you and never glimpse him because of the willows and the cattails and all the cover. Whereas in the mountains, you can get above him. And I have had great luck in British Columbia and Alaska being up in the mountains, get above tree line and glass down. And then you see them in the little open meadows. You see them in the willows. You get a fix on where they are. So early season, they'll even be above the tree line up in the tundra. And that's really easy. So that's my number one tip is just to hunt in the mountains if you can. And then my next tip would be to try to go during the rut if the season's open and you can, because the bulls are obviously more active. They're moving, looking for cows and or the cows are looking for the bulls. And they've got their rut pits where they paw out the ground and they urinate in it and roll in it and all that fun stuff. So you can find those and gives you a clue on what's going on. There's a chance that it's going to snow and you've got some tracking snow. I've had success with that. So the and the rut is generally the late September, first week in October, if I remember right. Um, So that would be a good time to go. And then another great tip, try to hunt in a really remote wilderness area where there's not much hunting pressure. You're likely to have more animals there and you're likely to have animals that are not that wary or spooky because they haven't been pressured. And that pretty much applies to all wildlife. But, oh, then I better throw another good tip in there. Be ready to handle the meat. There's a lot of it. Oh, man. I mean, even the smallest subspecies of moose, the Shiras moose down in the Rocky Mountains, you're going to have an 800-pound animal on your hands. 
<laughs> or on the ground, <laughs> then it's going to get into your hands. So make sure you've got good knives, some pretty long knives. I like a big fillet knife for peeling that meat off the bone because you're not going to want to haul those bones out if you're packing it. You got to carry that stuff. So be ready to bone that guy out. So have your bags so you keep the flies off of them and the dirt off of on that meat and hang it in the trees and to get it cool and all that good stuff. Think ahead. And if you're driving to your hunt, have enough coolers that you can pack that meat in there and put some ice on it and get it home in great shape because it's pretty hard to beat moose meat. We absolutely love it here. Hey, and for something else on moose, you might want to watch for my regular Ron Spomer Outdoors YouTube channel, uh, Moose Cartridges. I just did one. I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but watch for it. It's called Best Cartridges for Moose, and I covered everything from... You're never going to believe this. A 223 Remington up to a 416 Rigby. And you'll never guess which one I picked as the best. Good questions. Hey, and good luck on your moose hunt. Scribble. Scribble asks, where do you recommend going for your first international hunt? Ooh, that is an interesting question. Your first international hunt. Obviously, you're going to be able to determine that by what you want to hunt. I'm not going to tell you your your first hunt needs to be, uh, oh, let's say, up in Canada for a bighorn sheep. You might not be interested in bighorn sheep. But as far as great hunting opportunities, pretty easy access, lots of good help and support when you get there from your outfitters and guides, you're usually going to need that. They almost always mandate it for a non-resident from another country. Uh, not always, but almost all the time. So then you need to decide if you want to go to a really exotic foreign country in which you don't speak the language and you're not familiar with the culture and really get a new experience that way. Or if you want to go to something that's a little more similar to what you're used to. So I would say as a U.S. citizen, I'm thinking Australia, New Zealand, Canada, obviously, uh, to a lesser degree, Mexico. Um, a little bit nervous about Mexico. But Canada is a real easy one because you can drive up there. And for a lot of us, that was our first international hunt. But those would be the, the familiar ones. But then a lot of guys go, you know, New Zealand, the New Zealand mountains and Alps, red stags, it's a lot like hunting elk over here. And it is. And uh, the the um, tar hunting there is a lot like hunting mountain goats or sheep over here. So it's fairly similar. You don't get a really different experience. Africa, on the other hand, whoa, that's different. And Africa is your best bang for your buck right now. There's just so many ranches and farms and conservatories that have incredible numbers of animals. And they're competing with one another for customers. So the prices are a lot lower than they are up in the North Country, for instance. So you can go to Africa and pick up six to ten different species for the cost of one good elk hunt in a lot of western states or a moose hunt up north so you want to look into the prices on that you obviously have to pay to fly over there but boy once you get there your outfitter takes care of you they do a great job over there you don't have to sleep in the mud and the blood and the tears <laughs> you get to sleep in real beds you're still out out in the wild usually you'll have a, a tent or a grass hut rendezvous sort of a thing so you really feel like you're out in the open air camping but they've got real tables and real linen and real everything and you're sleeping on a bed most of the time it's comfortable they really plan on a trip for you and the food is outstanding so those are your choices or me you know, i've been to many international places but i would go back to africa 
And of course, you've got a lot of different countries in Africa you can go to, but boy, that's a great destination. All right. Uh, again, no name, but what happens to BC? That's ballistics coefficient, not British Columbia. And expansion when the tip of a cartridge is removed. Ah, good question. All right. You, you're familiar with sharply tipped bullets. Part of the reason they have a sharp tip is to improve the ballistics coefficient. Just think of a, a race car, sleek, cutting through the air versus the Mack truck with a big flat front. So you've got your flat-nosed bullets in the old 3030s and 4570s, pretty inefficient, pushing a lot of air out of the way. So those sharp little tips are made out of polymer or some kind of plastic and can break off. The lead ones, they're not quite as sharp, but there's a lot of sharp lead ones too. And they always deform or can deform just because the lead is so soft and gets banged around and deforms. So what's going to happen? Not a heck of a lot. If you snip it off, deform it, smash it or something, obviously you don't have that sleek tip anymore. You're going to lose a few points of BC, but really not enough to make a huge difference. Not a difference that's, say, inside of a 400-yard shot. At extreme ranges, it can really start to add up. But in general, it's not going to make a lot of difference. And surprisingly enough, it doesn't really make all that much difference on hunting accuracy. You don't want it for target group accuracy, obviously, but boy, for hunting accuracy, it just doesn't seem to make that much difference. I remember back in the 60s, guys were testing this by mashing them noses or cutting them off or something just to see what would happen. And they didn't really report a lot of differences. So I don't think you need to concern yourself with it for hunting, but definitely do for target shooting. And see if I answered that enough. Expansion. Oh, expansion. Once the bullet hits, terminal performance. That's not going to matter. They make a bit of an issue about by trying. Yeah, well, they're just trying to sell more ammunition, guys. You know, they, the new ballistic tip, this or that, or the polymer tip, that or this. And it's going to drive back and initiate expansion, blah, blah, blah. Man, when that bullet is going 2,000 miles an hour and it hits your animal carrying 3,000 foot-pounds of energy, a little plastic tip on the nose being there or being gone isn't going to make a lot of difference in the impact energy and what happens to that bullet. I don't think you need to worry about that. Your expansion is going to pretty much be determined by the rest of the bullet, not that little tip. All right, Porter asks, inline muzzle loaders or traditional muzzle loaders, which do you prefer and why? Aha. Well, obviously, inline muzzle loaders allow you to reach out farther, it extends your range. I mean, the whole idea initially with those when they came out was to attract a traditional 30 270 rifle, centerfire rifle hunter over to the muzzle loader side because you could get similar reach. So they used Sabo bullets, they shot a lot faster than the big full patch bullets. And then they came up with some new ways to use shotgun primers and different things to set them off. And it just simplified the whole process. They have developed the inlines to such a degree that they're practically like using a center fire. You just don't have a brass case anymore. Maybe you've got pellets instead of flakes for your powder to put in and Sabo bullets that are getting pretty sleek and narrow. Even though you've got a 50 caliber, you're probably shooting a 45 caliber or even a 40 caliber bullet. So Quite a bit different. Now, the traditional muzzle loaders, you're really going back to nostalgia on that and the challenge of trying to pull off what 
the Mountain Man did or Lewis and Clark or even Daniel Boone with a flintlock. You could go with a conical bullet. You can go with a round ball bullet. You just want, it's kind of like being a bow hunter. You want to go back in time and try to hunt that way and really get the full satisfaction of understanding the whole process, loading your own ammunition, which would be ramming it down the barrel, of course. But that's got a certain appeal to it. So I like them both. But I'm at that stage in life when I really start to appreciate all the little nuances of the hunt. Much as I love efficiency and modern bullets and cartridges and rifles, there's a certain romantic allure to the traditional muzzleloader, the old 50 caliber Hawking rifle. It makes you hunt harder and closer and stalk and really get in tight with your game, a lot like bow hunting. I'm going to go with traditional at this stage. But I, I can't blame anybody who goes with the inlines because they're a lot easier. A lot easier to take care of them as well, especially when you get a stainless steel barrel. So um, that looks like the questions for today, guys. I hope I got them right for you. Uh, I hope I didn't upset anybody who prefers the 6.5 Creedmoor or the 308 for hunting white-tailed deer. But I am going to stick with the 308 unless I can get the 7 millimeter 08. That's just the way I roll. Hey, we want to thank you guys for listening in. Be sure to check us out at Ron Spomer Outdoors website and uh, Ron Spomer Outdoors regular YouTube channel where we show lots of cartridges and bullets and fun stuff and discuss different calibers and pretty much everything we're touching on here in more detail. Until next time, hunt honest and shoot straight. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.